everyone, and welcome to part two of Wait, This Isn't Love. In this episode, Addie and I will pick up our exploration of trauma bonding from where we left off in episode 18. Hello, everyone, and welcome to And There You Go, a podcast about life. Whether you're hanging from a cliff by one hand or laughing your ass off, we'll cover it all. And now your co-hosts, Addie and Chad. I, I still do it. My voice still shakes from the abuse. Sometimes my body will still shake from the abuse if I'm in a certain situation. Mm-hmm. But I do tend to pull myself like away from... I don't even know how to explain it exactly. You could probably explain that better. Like what you see me do. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really interesting. And I noticed this kind of early on in our relationship is that I would, we'd be talking, uh, we'd be standing. I remember standing in your kitchen at your other place Mm -hmm. and we were talking and I would move towards you and I could see you backing up away from me. And I just, knowing some of your story, I had this feeling that this was an instinctive reaction. And so I asked you about it, and you didn't even realize that you had been doing it. And I've seen that from time to time, and I've mentioned it to you out of just sheer love, because so that maybe you can recognize it and then be able to do something, you know, to, to counter whatever is going through your mind. And I'm guessing it's subconsciously. Right. But yeah, it's... It's pretty deep stuff. I mean, deeply ingrained in you. What's interesting in that is that I was called out on that another time, years and years before I ever met you. Um, I was in my first long-term relationship, and we were young, very young and married, and I was being abused emotionally and sometimes verbally and didn't realize it and we'd been looking for a home so we had a realtor and the realtor showed up at our apartment when he was not there when my partner my husband was not there Mm -hmm. and he was trying to talk to me and move around the apartment because he'd helped us find it but he was also trying to help us find a home And I was doing that. And I didn't realize it until he looked at me and he said, are you afraid of me? And I think I was. Mm -hmm. That doesn't surprise me. So that's back in my early 20s. Yeah, so it started early on for you. And so, and then it progressed. So again, I wonder, you know, if, if that made you more susceptible as time went on, as relationships changed and evolved. That is very common. Yeah. In fact, I'd be surprised to hear anybody say that once they've been in one abusive relationship, that that was it, and then they found happiness. Yeah. Because that just is rarely the case. Yeah, and I, I've seen that firsthand myself, too, so yeah. I completely understand it. You know, what we're talking about right now is some of the longer-term effects that, you know, have, have come out of this experience. So, I mean, we, we've been talking about the stages, and we've gotten through the uh, love bombing, the trust and dependence building, 
and we've talked about the criticism. What's next after that? Then there's the manipulation and the gaslighting. Okay. And I've talked about that in other podcast mm-hmm. episodes. Mm-hmm. So gaslighting and manipulation are two forms of psychological abuse. But people that do that to you are attempting to form bonds with you so that they can control you. Mm-hmm. And so that's just part of it, I guess. At a certain point, I think that there was a time where I would fight back against some of it. Yeah. And I'd challenge it, but it was pretty futile, honestly. Then there's Mr. A. <laughs> and that was just as bad or worse abuse in a lot of ways. You know, it's every single time it's a little different. And so you're not sure. Right. But. One of his favorite things to do and say would be, there's nothing wrong with me. It is all you. You have no insight. I hope that you find a therapist and get the help that you need. But he's drinking heavily and abusing the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. He was gaslighting me constantly, and that was part of the gaslighting is the you have no insight. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all you. It's not me. When really, it was all him. I mean, I was just his, his punching bag. That's what I was to him. That's uh, very unfortunate. And then number five, there's the resignation and the giving up. And you give up to avoid more contact. And you start to bargain. Generally, you're a people pleaser. And you use those people-pleasing behaviors to make sure that the relationship remains intact. So I placated. And the abuser gets his way. And I bought his favorite booze on the way home from work to make sure that there was a possibility that he would just leave me alone. Mm-hmm. that night or he'd just be nice whatever it was like I was trying to save myself but I was still in I still was in resignation like giving up like here you go here's the rum hope you're nice tonight so why is it so hard to get out of a relationship like this well because it's confusing like Mr. D, he was either the nicest man in the whole wide world or he was the cruelest. Mm -hmm. And there was almost never an in-between. And so it was just like, I don't even know what to do with this. And and if your brain has formed an attachment on the positive side of that, that that can add to that confusion. Like, this is horrible, but he he loves me. Yeah. I mean, he must because he does all this. Right. Right. So I've got to find a way to reconcile this in my mind that if he's mean, you know, it's going to get better. Yeah. So I know from my own life, it's not my experience, but it's an experience that I witnessed. Somebody trying to get out of a relationship like this mm-hmm. feared for their safety. Oh, yes. And so there's that risk. And so the way that this transpired was that this person had to wait 
for the abuser to be gone. And the abuser would often use mechanisms to ensure that the victim would stay at home, meaning would take one of the children with mm-hmm. or took a beloved pet with when they left. Yeah. And so they couldn't leave. And then one night, the abuser made a mistake and left on his own. And there was a mad scramble, and they were gone. And they were terrified. Pretty much did the same thing. I imagine quite a few people do, and that's very unfortunate. More than once for me. I think more than once for who you're talking about. Yes. But that's typical. Sadly, it is. Mm-hmm. And so that's stage five. Yeah. Uh, the resignation, the giving up. And, and I can I can just believe that you're just so emotionally destroyed that it's like you got nothing left in you. That there isn't. Yeah. I would just do everything I could to become invisible. Mm-hmm. And I spent plenty of time hiding with my dog in a walk-in closet and calling a rape and abuse crisis center to help me just talk to me just listen and and tell me that this is wrong what's happening to me because I just don't even know anymore so you know good for you for being able to do that I know that it's difficult for people to even think about reaching out for help or telling somebody or finding somebody to trust why is it so hard for people to talk about it? Probably some of the same reasons it's difficult to leave. But I would presume also there could be a lot of shame in there, especially I think if you're so confused that you're wondering, well, maybe it is me. Yeah. Maybe I am the problem in this relationship. Well, if they keep telling you that, right, you start to think it. Yeah. So what was your question? So I, 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 we, we kind of trailed off my question, but my question was, so what, what is the next stage here? I think we, we talked about five. Um, but what is, what is the next stage in all of this? Well, this will not surprise you after everything that I've said. It's the loss of self because it just gets harder and harder to leave because you have placated yourself into a hole, basically. You don't know who you are. They tell you who you are. Yeah. And it's different every single day, who you are. And, and so you've just lost your own thought process, really, because it's, you're in survival mode. You, you are not allowed a thought process. At least you're not allowed to talk about it. If you have one, you know, and and if you're a placator and you're doing everything to please that person, and if part of that expectation is that you're participating in that, you know, so say certain restaurants or, or certain movies or, you know, and and you're placating, so you don't create conflict, you Mm -hmm. don't raise any, any issues or give them any reason to blow up on you. Oh, they'll, they'll give They'll make up reasons. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. That's That's okay. Uh, You know, I think that you you start doing that enough, you placate enough that that you start forgetting what it is that you really like. Oh, yeah. I I didn't know who I was anymore. You lose that identity of of what kind of music do I like, what kind of foods. You've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. Well, Uh, so have you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know what... uh, 
in, in a different way, I experienced a loss of self in my own experiences. And it took me a long time to really figure out who the hell I was. And I talked about that in, in one of the, the episodes where I talked about my, my alcohol abuse. So, uh, you know, it wasn't exactly the same as this, but I, I know what that's like to lose yourself. Well, so the loss of yourself means that, that you have loss of self-esteem. Oh, sure. Self-esteem, self-worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And trauma bonds are very isolating. They make sure of it. Right. Because of the smear campaigns and all of those things as well. Yeah. And th- they can as well lead to suicidal ideations. I know that at a point which I never would have done it because I've got two kids and I'm their only parent. Mm -hmm. I've always been their only parent. And so it's something that I never could have brought myself to do, but I felt like that was going to be my only way out. And so I never went as far as thinking, this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah. It was more of, man, if I was just gone, maybe it would just make everything better for everyone. Not just the abuser, but just everyone. That is um, heartbreaking for me to think about you having to even remotely think about something like that. God, you make me love you more well, all but, the time. But, you know, I, <laughs> for as many people who have those thoughts and stop those thoughts or, you know, don't entertain them beyond just a, you know, casual flicker in your mind. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of people who don't, who aren't able to stop there and probably do take their own life Yeah, because of something like this. And that's, that is so sad. Well, that, that is really, really sad. The abuser has so much power. I, I would never in a million years, <laughs> Write to anybody's closest friends, parents, children, family members, whatever, and tell a bunch of lies. <laughs> and how do I prove that wrong? Right. And, I, and I'm sure they, <laughs> they have it figured out in their minds, you know, how they can justify or rationalize it to anybody who might question it. Right. And, and Mr. D... He was on the down low about that. Yeah. And he used his family a lot. He'd manipulate them into thinking negative things about me. God only knows. I just don't get it why he would do that because he seemed to want the relationship, but then he'd say things that weren't true to his family and then they'd be mean. Um, Mr. A, I think he did some of that, but he he was more like just, everywhere and he had become an alcoholic well he was an alcoholic and it tricked me into marriage and I tried to help him with everything even through all the abuse that I was taking went to family week all of that supported him went to open meetings but then when I finally left he would go to meetings And I know this because I was in a trauma group and some of those women were going to those meetings 
and believed him until they met me. Uh, and they said, he starts out his meetings with, my wife was so mean. Unreal. Which was so untrue. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I can testify to that. You are, there's not a mean bone in your body. Well, I don't know. I think probably everyone has a mean bone in their body, but well, I, you know, I, I was good to him and I treated him like a king in a lot of ways. And I supported him, even though he tricked me into marriage and had been an alcoholic for eight years and had not told me, I still supported him, got him into treatment when he finally would go, went to family week, did the whole works, still kept abusing me. Yeah. And it wasn't because he was a dry drunk. He was, but it was more than that. He was just simply an abuser. And I know that for a fact because I told him that the only way for him to come back into the home was to take a test to prove that he was not an abuser. Like a clinical test of it's some a, sort? It, yes, it's a clinical test. So there, there are some uh, counselors, therapists that are highly trained in abuse. And, and this particular therapist was highly trained that was his genre that that was his niche and there's no way you can trick a test like that but he thought he was smarter than anybody ever in the room Mm -hmm. he was always the smartest person in the room and he thought he could trick the test well he didn't and he had signed off that the therapist could talk to me about the test results. Okay. What'd you find out? Well, that therapist happened to be in the same office as me, just across the hall. Okay. So the same office complex. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, way across another hall, but yeah, close enough where as soon as he knew he was safe to go to my office, he came in and sat down and said, don't you dare let that man back into the house. He has scored enormously high Wow! as an abuser. What'd you do? Well, then he looked at me and he said, he says that you abuse him. And he kind of chuckled because that is very common. Oh, too. sure. Abusers yeah. will say that the people that they're abusing are the abusers. Yeah. And to really so I just, you know, I said, muddy the waters, well, play sure, the blame game. Another, yep. another tactic tactic yeah um smear campaign whatever yeah and he knew i was not an abuser it's it's just a tangled web yeah yeah so Um, we've got a number of steps or not steps but stages that that we go through so it's demonstrate affection gain the trust then start to tear people down and rebuild that trust and start that cycle of psychological games that kind of alters your mind and where you're looking for the reward of the love coming on the backside or the the affection or the validation coming on the backside that you're worthy and it creates doubts in you uh you you get to a point even though it gets really bad that you 
give up trying, you you find tactics, techniques to mitigate or minimize the effects. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I think uh, there was a phrase, not a phrase, but a term that I came across. Uh, you know, the fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Then there's the freeze where you do nothing. Right. But then there's a fourth one that I heard about recently called fawn. And that's you fight, there's flight, you freeze, or you fawn. And fawn is the placating aspect of that. Okay, this is new to me. Yeah, so it was something very new to me as well. I just recently saw that. So, you know, you find a tactic to go along with this. But in the whole process, you realize you don't know who you are anymore. Uh Uh-uh. And the thing is that you almost get addicted to the cycle. Is that... The, That's the next the stage that stage. you get. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So often in trauma bonds, I'll just read this. Um, the stages can be cyclical. After a significant conflict, however, there's a cool down or there's a honeymoon period. So then there's peace. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're going from just one extreme to the next. And you almost get addicted to it because it's all you know anymore. Sure. So the abuser might completely shut down and become avoidant and withhold love and affection. And like I said, that stare, that narcissistic, empty stare that where they're trying to intimidate you. And like I was ignored my entire being. I'd be ignored for weeks at a time. And was that to force you to break the ice, to make you become conciliatory? Yeah, I think that that's some of it. And so then then you kind of take ownership for some of that, and it's like, oh, crap. Right, it's attention um, as a way to, like, it was attention to pressure me, to force me to apologize. Mm -hmm. But then I could never apologize right either. Of course not. He would say... (laughs) That doesn't surprise me. That's not an apology. You need to say it like this. And I would say it, honest to God, exactly the way he told me to. Yeah. And it was still wrong. Yeah, of course it was. And then he... he, It was just humiliating. It's like it's cycling back to that whole criticism Uh stage of this. You can't do anything right. Yeah. You're not good enough. You're so lucky to have me. And so all of this just becomes a repetitive cycle mm-hmm. over and over and over again, reinforcing itself as it goes along. And I would imagine, you know, with each cycle through, things get worse, worse and worse and worse. Yeah. How can you get out? Good question. <laughs> well, I should first say that trauma bonding and abuse, which is one and the same, really. Uh, it can create chronic illnesses, which we both know oh, I yeah. have. Yep. I've got six autoimmune diseases and all sorts of other problems because emotional manifested into physical. Right. It can have, there can be internal reactions like dissociation or You've seen this in me, fatigue and brain fog. Mm-hmm. That's never really gone away from me. Yeah. Um, sleep issues. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I think we're going through that right now. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah. And in part, that has to do with 
other things too that are happening that to me are coming across as as abusive outside of you know my personal life Mm -hmm. so I think that that's causing an issue there and there's a fear of reoccurrence and you get flashbacks you have PTSD right right absolutely so like I've said before your body keeps score emotional is going to manifest into physical yep um, so how do you break free from trauma bonding? Well, I'm still trying to do that. Right. Even with the healthiest, most kind, caring, empathetic partner I could ever imagine having. Thank you. Well, yeah, of course. Uh, um, I mean, that goes without saying. I think when I think about breaking free, I think about getting away from the abuser. Yeah. And, and then you have these dangerous. lingering effects uh-huh. which is the path towards healing. But to get away from the abuser... Is very, very dangerous. Yeah, as, as we kind of alluded yeah. to a And then by ago. the time that you get to that point, you've been alienated from almost everybody. And so you're very alone. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, he wrote letters even to my children well, I that have, were lies. I have to believe that... You know, if if you've lost a sense of self, you know, you're really not sure mm-hmm. uh, whether or not you you even maybe have a right to leave or think about leaving. Yep. If you've been alienated, you are probably going, who in the hell is going to help me? Who's going to believe me and who's going to help me? Yeah. You know, because I imagine a lot of this is very hidden from the outside world it because is. of the isolation. And I will say this as well. Do not ever, ever ever seek counseling with an abuser especially a narcissistic abuser i'm not a doctor i can't say for sure that that's what happened i think it is after all the research i've done but it is a game Mm -hmm. to the abuser to go to counseling because what they're doing is that they'll sit there and lie with you right there beside them and they know you know they're lying but the therapist that we went to was just so confused because Mr. A would say things like, well, she has PTSD from former relationships, and so that's the problem here. So I'm not doing anything wrong. She's just taking it wrong because it's post-traumatic stress disorder. And honest to God, the therapist did not help me. There were times where he would kind of get it and he'd say okay Addie I want you to leave first and you go out this door I'm going to stay with Mr. A and he'll leave a little bit later but it never came down to the therapist honestly saying Addie you're being abused Yeah, and this is very dangerous and extremely serious and we've got to get you some help never because he, he, he's a great liar. Yeah, yeah. Just the, the therapist didn't have enough evidence or didn't, the, the facts were muddled. Sure. With I all suppose, of that. I suppose, but yeah. if you're a good therapist, you figure it out. You do. I guess. I don't know. Maybe you don't. But I think I know enough therapists that they figured it out when I was with them alone. So, how to break free. It's ideal to have 
support. It's ideal to have a plan of action. I made sure that I had all the papers, all important papers I needed, and just basic things like pajamas and clothing and maybe some makeup or whatever in a suitcase with all the papers, and I'd given it to one of my best friends Mm -hmm. because she knew. And so I could walk out with nothing but get my suitcase from my friend and go. Mm -hmm. Um, Seek therapy on your own, not with the abuser. And I think that eventually your love for them, and it's not real love because you loved who they pretended to be in the beginning with the love bombing and all of that. Oh, sure. So it starts to overshadow your fear of the abuse and you start to trust yourself a little bit more, especially if you have some support. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a power imbalance going on. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you're being controlled. And so once you get to the point where you realize that that's what's happening to you, Then you get to the point where, okay, I've got a few people I can count on, a few people that believe what's really happening to me, and I know I deserve better than this, and I've had therapy, and I have a way out. Mm -hmm. I've made a plan. That's so important, to have a plan in advance. You know, if if you can arrange to have, like you did, your your friend help you out or or even uh, have a place to go, whether it's a shelter or, you know, with friends or, or someplace. But again, I think it sounds like it's a risky proposition. It is. You have to be prepared that you might end up dead because that's pretty common in the abuse situations that I was in. Yeah. Just as a last kind of note on all of this, Uh, There are other key signs of traumatic bonds. So you want to look for some of the characteristics to these traumatic bonds. If you feel unhappy and may not even like your partner any longer, but you still feel unable to end things, that's trauma bonds. Okay. So as we've been talking through all of this, I'm thinking... Yeah, I don't think I've ever experienced this. But what you just said there, the unhappiness, but say, can you read that again? Yeah. Uh, you feel unhappy, and you may not even like your partner any longer, but you still feel unable to end things. And yeah. that happened with me, too. Yeah. I went back and forth and back and forth. For women, it takes four to seven sometimes to nine times leaving before you're, you leave for good. So I, I've felt those things in my prior relationship, but I don't think it was trauma bonding in this sense. There, there's something going on, and maybe that's something to explore outside of this episode here. I, I think it would be. When you do try to leave, you feel physically and emotionally distressed. Yeah, when you say you want to leave, they promise to change but make no effort to actually do so. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've maybe experienced more than you think. Um, you could be right. But I wasn't there. Only you can speak for that. Um, 
you fixate on the good days using them as proof that they truly care for you. Uh, You make excuses and you defend their behavior when others express concern. Ooh, that one kind of hits close to home for me too. Yeah. In that I protected and You're the keeper of the secrets. Yeah. I was the keeper of the secrets. Yeah. And don't you dare ever tell the secrets. Right. But they're going to do a smear campaign on you. But you better not tell the truth. Um, you fi- Oh, I did already did that. You make excuses and defend their behavior when others express concern. You continue to trust them and hope to change them. <laughs> uh, yeah, that one, that one, there's that. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah. And when we laugh, it's not funny, but you've got to mix it up a little or you oh, stay miserable yeah, exactly. forever. You protect them by keeping their abusive behavior a secret. There we go. Keeping yeah. their secrets. So please, anyone out there who is experiencing these things, please seek therapy without the abuser. Please go and get help at a, a resource center of some kind or another. Be prepared for a smear campaign because it's going to happen. And surround yourself with supportive people who understand. And there you go. 